Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hello and welcome to a new episode in the New Books and Gender Studies podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Kyle McMillan, and today I have the pleasure of being joined by Dr. Marsha Morgan, talking about her new book, Black Women, Prison Employees, The Intersectionality of Gender and Race. Dr. Morgan, how are you doing today? I'm fine, thank you. Um, and thanks for joining us today, and I kind of want to start out um, by talking a little bit about your academic background um, and why did you come to write this book in particular about um, prison employees? Well, my background is not really a traditional background. I'd completed an undergraduate degree uh, many years ago, went on to do a postgraduate in education, specifically around offender learning. That was my introduction to prison work. And then um, after completing my master's, which looks at education and leadership in um, prisons, I then decided to complete a PhD, really out of frustration, if I'm honest. Um, At the time, I was working for um, Her Majesty's Prison and Probation Service. I was going through a particular difficult time. I was feeling very isolated. And while I was completing my master's degree in which I was looking at race relations within the organisation, I realised that there were no books that actually reflected the experiences of black women. There were quite a few books at that time that was looking at occupational work in prisons, but it tended to be from the perspective of white male prison officers. There was just nothing that actually spoke to my experience of being a black female working in a white male dominated organisation. So that was really the catalyst as to why I then decided to complete a PhD. I completed my PhD um, through the distance learning route as opposed to the um, full-time route. And I also decided that I didn't want to do my PhD through a continuous professional development route because I wanted to have the autonomy to focus on black women. And at that time, when I was coming against some resistance about my methodology and my choice to focus on black women as opposed to doing a comparative study, I felt it was best to identify a supervisor that looked like me, had similar, had completely similar work in my field, and also a university that was open to focusing on a new area of um, occupation within prisons. Yeah, and I think, you know, part of what makes your book really interesting when I was reading it is... um, that it seemed so novel, right? That sort of frustration that you were feeling of not having this work available. And because it was, it, it was certainly a new topic area for me to explore as well. And a part of what you start out the book talking about is um, sort of things that play into the prison environment or prison culture more generally. Um, so how do race and masculinity, which are two things that you've already sort of mentioned, interact with the prison environment? Well, what I found through my through the course of my study was that prisons have a very unique are a very unique environment in regards to they are very masculinized. The majority of staff are white men and the majority of prisoners are male. 
There is an overrepresentation of black and ethnic minority prisoners within the um, UK system, but this is not reflected in the staff cohort. What happens is, from previous studies, I'm from my own study, I found that when you mix um, a particular structure, such as prisons, which is a controlling environment, which aims out to homogenize everyone in order to be a single type of person. When you have a black woman who does shares neither gender nor race with the dominant group, it disrupts the dynamics within the organization and it disrupts the culture. It disrupts the way in which people relate to each other. And that tends to get played out in the interactions between those women who are marginalized because of gender and race and also within the practices that occur. So what you will see um, through the journey of the book is that I provide um, an account of different structural um, structures within the organisation actually set up to protect against um, difference, whether that's gender or racial difference, because anything that is different or, or is unique is perceived as a threat within an organisation that has very rigid structures. Yeah, and and part of what you also examine too is sort of the um, psychodynamic uh, aspect of prison culture, prison life. Um, so, for those folks that maybe aren't familiar with that particular approach, um, what is sort of that psychodynamic approach, and why did you, why were you drawn to that in this particular study? Well, an organisational psychodynamic approach comes from the um, theory of object relations, which is Melanie Klein's work. Um, what The reason that I was drawn to that particular um, theory, it wasn't at the start of my research that I came across that. It was because from the accounts that I was receiving from the participants, I found that they were talking about experiences that were sometimes felt, that were sometimes or, or could be perceived as in the mind of the individual. Um, that, that subtle type of feelings that people feel, whether that's through microaggressions or the way in which someone may speak or look. Um, and also, at the beginning of my research, when I applied to the National Research Committee for the Prison Service to undertake my research, they were very against or resistant to me focusing on black women's experience. They wanted me to complete a comparative study. And again, what you will see in um, the UK, and specifically in um, prison occupational research, it tends to focus, if you're looking at race or gender issues, it tends to take a more of a comparative approach, as opposed to focusing on one particular cohort. The only time you actually see that is when the um, portrayal of the white male prison officer experience is projected. Um, so from the very onset, there was something going on that I wasn't quite sure what it was. It was also similar to my experience of not quite understanding why I was feeling racially isolated, that um, I needed to find a theory that actually spoke to that. And organisational psychodynamics speaks to that because it actually talks about the unconscious side, the things that you can't, um, the, the untangible things that you're not quite sure about, but it's happening. So in, in um, the chapters, you will see where for example, the um, chapter around culture um, that looks at violence, mistrust and suspicion, you'll see in that chapter that they're not very specific, hardcore 
things, but they're the sort of subtle feelings that people get that um that you're not quite sure about. That's what organizational psychodynamics looks at, the sort of unconscious aspects of the um, relationship that individuals have with their environment that they're working with and also their internal feelings towards different things that may happen to them. Yeah, and one of the more interesting lines that stuck out to me um, when you were talking about this approach and sort of the um, ways in which, you know, the the affector you know can affect sort of the um day-to-day goings on of these prison employees is you you make the point that prisons become or are um organizations in the minds of the employees so um what what does that mean and you know why did you find that to be the case well when i use the term organization in the mind i'm referring to the way people prisons are made up of people you have very two distinct groups you have the um in regards to staff groups you have the operational side and they're the staff that wear the uniforms and then you have the non-operational side they're the individuals that do like for example staff that work in healthcare or deliver education or are very specialist roles so you have two distinct groups within prisons you then also have multiple tasks of prisons. So prisons, if we look at the uh, mission statement, is to protect the public, is to punish offenders, and it's to rehabilitate them in order to return back into um, the community. There again, you've got three specific tasks within one organisation in which you have different staff fulfilling those roles. Now, individuals enter prisons with various mindsets. So, for example, in the book, I talk about the fact that black women have a particular role in society as black women who are there to nurture and protect and look after the family and the black community. Then they go into an organisation that has a reputation for being institutionally um, racist, um, very um matriarchal patriarchal in in the respect in which they it's male dominated so within that context you've got um black women who 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 as i mentioned share neither gender or race with the dominant group they are um they have a particular view of the organization so the uh, my cohort of individuals the majority of them were working in non-operational roles there were some prison officers there were some senior um, prison officers and there were some in managerial roles but they all had um, experience gender and racial discrimination within the organization they all had particular views of their role within the organization so they talked about wanting to rehabilitate offenders wanting to change people's lives wanting to make a positive impact if you look at the prison itself the prisons have particular structures which on the one hand is set to control prisoners, but on the other hand is set to rehabilitate them through education and training. And that causes tension and conflict. And that's what I talk about with organisation in the mind, because the, the mission statement may say one thing, the staff that may go into the organisation, so for example, those who want to um, educate prisoners, for example, will be going in there wanting to deliver courses, enrichment programmes, but the actual procedure in prison might reduce or prevent them from having to do that because 
um, prisoners have to follow particular structures within the day. They wake up at the same time. They go to the same workplaces. They return back to their cells. So it's it's very ordered and structured, which doesn't necessarily fit into that creative way of working if you're thinking about education. So if you enter an organisation with a particular mindset that you want to do one thing and the structure of the organisation prevents it, then you then will have a particular relationship or attention between yourself, your role, and the actual organization itself. Yeah, so, and you you already mentioned um, sort of the three, um, you know, aspects of prison culture that sort of stood out to you, or I guess a better way to say that would be the three sort of main um, attributes that made up prison culture, This uh, these ideas of mistrust, suspicion, and violence. So how does it happen that these are sort of the main um, culture drivers within that organization? And, you know, what is then sort of the overall picture of the culture within a prison? As you can imagine, when you're interviewing a lot of individuals, there will be a lot of rich and it was qualitative. It was a qualitative approach that I took, in which I interviewed um, seventeen women. So there was a lot of different aspects of um, prison culture and, and experiences that came out in that data. But what stood out, and why I have a chapter that focuses on this particular aspect of prison culture, which is mistrust, suspicion, and violence, is because in the other chapters, there's sort of a thread that goes through there. So within prisons, um, in in the chapter. In in this particular chapter, um, prisons are, as I mentioned, are organisations that are set up to do a particular role in society. Um, if you look at how prisons are built and what they look like, if you take um, the old Victorian prisons there's a in the UK, they're um, built in a particular way in which there's a central area in which an officer can then observe and watch all the prisoners. So straight away, there's that sense of being watched. You have to watch someone because you have to make sure you're aware of what they're doing. So straight away, you've got that suspicion element because you're not quite sure how someone might behave. That plays out in the relationships between staff. So prisoners generally will have staff who have worked in the organisation for many years, their partners, their children, or ex-military staff may work in particular prisons. And then you may have new staff that enter prisons. So, for example, it was only until the late 90s that you saw an influx of women working in British prisons. Before that, they were few and far between tending to work in female prisons. Now you've got male and female prison, um, prison officers working in all types of prisons. Likewise, you have, uh, yes, black women are the smallest group of staff they make less than 2,000 out of um, a staff group of of 40,000 so again that's a new type of um, individuals working in an organization that has very structured and rigid um, systems and processes that have been embedded for centuries and when they enter in the organization as being gendered and racialized subjects they change that so now they are challenging not just the gender aspect of prisons, but they're also challenging the racial aspects because beforehand you had white male prison officers and female prison officers and staff managing black prisoners. Now you have black female members of staff as part of your group. 
if you're not used to um, engaging with um, someone from a different ethnic group to yourself in your personal life, then it will be very difficult for you to engage in a positive relationship in the work life that gets played out in prisons where you have that superiority role over prisoners you have that in the hierarchy of the um, structure so you have prison officers and senior prison officers so all that gets played out in 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 their everyday tasks so if you compound that with racial difference gender difference the multiple tasks it does cause a lot of anxiety amongst individuals and for the organisation itself, which is set up to control and dominate those that enter the organisation. Yeah, and I think because your work centres, like you said, on the on black women's experience in this role, I think we should turn to that direction. So overall, what does your work tell us about the experience of black women empl- employees in the British prison system? Well, what it tells us is that Where we've seen studies in the past that look at race relations within prisons, it's tended to fall, and we're looking at staff groups, it doesn't differentiate between the experience of, for example, black men and white men as employees. Likewise, when we've looked at studies that look at gender issues in prisons, it doesn't tell us the experience of white women and black women. All these experiences are very different. So what this study shows is that it's important to take an intersection approach towards the information that's being gathered and to the actual method in which you're collecting that information because what you what my book shows is that black women have a very unique experience which is based on their gendered racialization the fact that they are members of two marginalized groups within this particular organization and within other white male dominated organizations as well means that they have a a particular standpoint that will be different from other groups so this book emphasizes the fact that actually we need to be um, aware of people's multiple identities, especially along gender and racial lines. The book also brings to um, the forefront that prisons are very unique places and they are quite complex. What what a lot of um, prison occupational literature tells us is that prisons are places where people go to work. What this book shows us is that prisons are also places that are in, um, that people not just only work, and not only interact, but they actually it actually affects them as individuals. They go through a transition process of being not just entering a new organization and working there, but actually becoming part of that organization. Hence the reason why you have the organization, the mind aspect of it. What the um, book also shows us is that there are particular structures that are embedded in prisons that are difficult to break down because those structures are there for a reason. They're there to protect the organisation against the anxiety of having to manage different types of people, whether that's through staff now or prisoners that um, need to actually control and dominate because prisons function on that very premise to control people that enter the organisation. And when you've got people that disrupt those structures, the organisation will ultimately try to protect itself from that. And that's why when, for example, um, there are issues around the overuse of control and restraint on um, black and ethnic minority prisoners, 
and the perspective and then you have the organization which will then do investigations into those incidents so in effect it's investigating itself what you then find is those individuals who are undertaking those investigations they tend to come from the dominant group with a particular mindset and perspective of what's control and restraint looks like but then if you take that into that particular incident from a perspective of someone who's in a minority position their views may be very different and that's um one of the examples that i um provided in um chapter um um eight oh sorry not eight in chapter nine you have an incident of control and restraint, which on the surface is a sanctioned form of controlling prisoners who are felt to be a risk to either themselves or the member of staff. But then you have individuals who are perceiving that particular type of control in a different way to dominant group. So what this study shows is that it's important to take into account the diversity of experience, the diversity of perspective, and hopefully to encourage the organisation to think differently about the people that work there, but also some of the embedded structures that are there that seem to keep perpetuating, which then ends up marginalising individuals continuously and, and I guess... Um, make some individuals experience of working in that organization very painful in respect of the racial isolate racial isolation the um, discriminatory practice that might happen and the microaggressions and etc yeah and I, the next few questions that i have for you sort of focus around um member or participants in your study that sort of stood out as um we might view them as sort of focal participants, right? And the the first person that you mentioned um, is Rosa. So, who who is Rosa, and what does her narrative sort of tell us about that process you were alluding to, that transitioning from the individual to a prison officer? Well, Rosa was a prison officer and she worked at a number of establishments and um, she described in her interview, she'd been working for the organisation, I think, for um, 25 years. And she described her her period of going to training. And what was particularly interesting about Rosa's, and I use the carceral space as a means to describe her experience, because she talked about having to be part of a race relations um training session which she doesn't actually say to me I found it quite derogatory and and that's where the um, unconscious aspect of not trying not not wanting to own the pain that you go through but she talks about how it affected her um, colleagues and how they took offense to this particular exercise that they had to do as part of the um, training but in that same breath she talks about her training as being a positive experience she relates it to her school days which again I've, I've I've sort of um, understood that in a sense of she was looking at it from a positive period in her life of going to school. And in a sense, that's how the organisation can sometimes infantile people in in respect of trying to control them. She again talks about, um, and she gave a a really good example about how gender and race and and other um, identities just get um, undermined in an incident where she arrived to work late 
and her senior officer chastised her for her lateness, never gave her an opportunity to explain why she was late. But she then says, I was never late again. So that incident and the way in which she was treated then affected her behaviour and her career until throughout, um, up until the point of our um, interview. She also talks about how um, the, the incident of the control and restraint made her um, even more detached from the organisation because in the earlier chapter uh, um, where she gives an example of, of violence and how she's introduced to the organisation as a violent place in which the metaphor of um, a scissors has gone missing, which means that's too nice and you have to walk with your back against the wall, those are the sort of subtle ways in which, in her account, she's shown how she was introduced to an environment that was violent, into an environment in which you have to protect yourself, even though if we think about the prison officer code, um, it's about supporting each other. But yet she was feeling, well, actually, in that subtle um, metaphor and in that sort of situation, I need to be protecting myself. And then that came to pass when she was supervising these prisoners um, during a cleaning um, duty that she had to do. And she says that, you know, I, I took meticulous notes because I wanted to make sure that I was getting it right. And then when I then was instructing these prisoners to fulfill this particular duty, I realised that the, the um, instructions I was given by my colleague was wrong. And then I basically she felt vulnerable and it could have put her in a difficult position if she hadn't used her own common sense and made a judgment call. So here you've got Rosa who enters the prison service nervous she's been advised that it's a dangerous place um she's already suspicious because of what she's been told and then it plays out in her interaction and in her observations and carrying out her duty the the unconscious or or the fantasized part of the organization becomes real in the examples that she gives so she provided a really rich account of prison work from literally training all the way through to her actually working in various prisons as a prison officer. Yeah, and I think that the next person that you mentioned in uh, you know the following chapter was Lisa. So, and and in Lisa's account you kind of talk also about um returning to the sort of psychodynamic or psychosocial um aspects of prison work and in particular um the Oedipal situation. So, maybe going over uh, sort of what that is and sort of how you're using it and what Lisa's narrative tells us about the prison. I decided to use the sort of the eatable situation as um, an example to explain Lisa's relationship. Lisa was a manager, a diversity manager, um, and she explained her, or she described her relationship with her two white female um, managers, one who was directly line managing her and then the um, department's manager. Um, the reason why I decided to use the sort of the Oedipal situation and the, the triangular relationship, because you have three individuals in a relationship that forms the triangle, the triangle. Um, the Oedipal situation talks about um, the the relationship of the child or, or, or of um, the young person, the child who resents the father because the father is seen as a threat or of someone that is taking the attention of the mother who is the main object or, or the main desire of um, 
the child. Um, so I use that situation because the examples that Lisa gave when she first joined the organisation and she was looking for a mentor and she um, had a positive view towards um, the department's manager which she felt that um, her line manager, um, Jezebel, was preventing her from um, having that relationship or getting the support that she felt that she needed from the department's manager. So that's why I use that particular um, theory or framework to actually describe how there were three individuals. It wasn't about um, gender because all three of them share the same gender, but there was a clear um, blurring between the racial aspect of um, Lisa being um, a black female and her white female counterparts who had formed an allegiance which she felt was against her or means to control her or undermine the work that she was doing and her position as a manager in her own right. But her being so closely managed took away her autonomy to actually control the staff that she was um, given to fulfil a particular role. But also her um, experience played out in, in her role as diversity manager. She had been appointed to improve race relations in that particular prison and she was... Um, finding it very difficult to get the staff on board to support her agenda. But yet she was also subject to those same race relations issues around um, the, not necessarily the discrimination, but the suspicion that comes about of being um, a different ethnic group to the majority group. And that comes out in her explanation about a particular task that she did where she needed um She'd borrowed some resources to um, do a particular event in the prison and it got damaged um, while it was supposed to come in. And it just showed how if individuals don't work together, then how a simple task of, of a delivery around to a prison can actually cause a lot of problems but then also when you're thinking that you're not part of the group so she didn't feel like she was a full part of that triangle relationship she felt that her um, managers were conspiring against her um, and that obviously made her feel very uncomfortable and towards the end of that chapter she actually talks about the um, the dilemma and the tension that she felt in on the one hand wanting to um, organise an event for her manager leaving but then she felt really emotionally exhausted and drained because she she was, I guess, battling between wanting to do something and not wanting to do it. Yeah, and I think, you know, moving on to the final sort of focal uh, participant that you have uh, was Lorna. Um, and Lorna's narrative really talks about, and you talk about, you know, with and using her narrative, sort of the aspects of, the group mentality in prison. So what, what was Lorna's narrative and what does that tell us about that group mentality? Well, Lorna was a senior manager and she worked at um, the prison service head office. Um, And she was in a role that was very high profile. She was a specialist. And in her, the reason why I use Beyond's um, theory around um, group mentality is because here you have a woman who is clearly competent in the role that she's doing. Um, She's being line managed by a particular individual who has some reservations around the changing of his department in which Lorna um, works in. 
you have Lorna here who's describing her work ethics and her drive to do a really good job and working extra hours and just wanting to continue with the success of the organisation while she's got her manager who I guess in a sense may have been apprehensive about changing the role of the organisation from developing policy to becoming more operational which would involve ensuring that things are being done at a prison level the reason why I use um, Beyond's theory with group mentality is because she's, she described uh, three different areas. So she, she gave examples of her fight and flight where initially she was determined to do really well and she was challenging um, the resistance that she was receiving from her senior managers. But then she gets to a point where she just wants to leave the work that she loved and the specialist area. Um, in another example, she talks about um, a, a lady that comes in who's, who, again, is a senior manager who she thought was there to help her, who was there to support her. But then she talks about, the, and, and this lady was a white female, and she talks about the fact that this person took her ideas and then sold them as her own and then in the end ended up taking over um, Lorna's role and her position. And she felt very hurt about that because obviously she had invested a lot of trust into this woman who she felt basically... um, took advantage of the situation and just used her, I guess, to um, progress her own career. And that's where she talks about the subtleties of racial difference, because she says that, um, you know, this is a white lady who's here. Um, They brought her in to find out what was going on. They um, then gave her the resources that Rosa, um, sorry, that that um, Lorna had been requesting and actually gave these resources to this particular lady and had not given it to her or supported her to continue developing this particular um, intervention that she was introducing, bearing in mind that she was getting a lot of publicity from ministerial level across the organisation. She'd got promoted in quite um, a short period of time. So she clearly showed how capable she was, but yet she was then... um, she was then not given the resources to con- to maintain that momentum and then basically moved out into another role. So that's why I use the, um, the Beyond's group mentality because it actually shows how... Um, a group can actually become dysfunctional, even though it's tr- even though it, without even realizing that's becoming dysfunctional because it was working well, and they changed the dynamics by moving Lorna out rather than support Lorna in the role that she was doing. And, and the reason why I, I, I guess what I mentioned earlier, why I use the um, organisational psychodynamics is because sometimes decisions are made that the individual who is the subject of that decision may not understand or be aware of. And then sometimes decisions are made that even the individuals who are making them may not necessarily know, the, understand the rationale behind it because they are being influenced by something else, which in this um, situation, Lorna explains, it could be the fact that this woman shared the same um race as um the senior managers and also she had been in the organization for a lot longer so there was that um that sort of bond between those individuals and and that's where where, where I spoke about culture the culture of the organization if you've got individuals that share the same race as um individuals or they've been in the service for a long time or the same gender then 
they will sometimes form a particular bond or unity that when you're not part of that group, you are automatically excluded without the person even realizing that they're doing it because they're doing it unconsciously. So one of the things that really struck me when I was reading your book was, you know, at least in the United States, there has been a lot of talk around um, prison reform and, you know, sort of the ways that folks talk about that is usually from either a sentencing point of view or sort of, you know, reforming ways that, you know, ways that we do punish while we're in prison. But what your book sort of outlines is part of what we also need to look at is are the people that are working within that within the prison within that sort of organizational culture. So what do you think your book and your work and what you were able to uncover in these interviews tells us about sort of maybe a future of prison reform? I think what this book tells us is that reform it's all and well developing new strategies and plans and policies, but it's the people that work in the organization that are the ones that will either make something work and be successful or not. I guess I refer to those individuals as the gatekeepers. So we have similar um, strategies around um, prison reform over in the UK as well. We've got a particular drive at the moment, which is looking at the Lamy Review, which looked at the over-representation and high proportion of black and ethnic minority offenders going through the whole criminal justice system. And the um the lack of black and ethnic minority managers in senior levels throughout those various organizations so we have similar reforms what my book shows and and on some of the conversations that i've been having is that if you don't address those that i call the gatekeepers so if you don't get these individuals on board in regards to making these changes then the changes won't necessarily be successful also in regards to making change Change involves a moment of uneasiness. It it involves a a shift in the way in which you think, feel and relate to a particular situation. Prisons are, as I've said, are white male dominated organisations. The status quo is that white men manage the organisation. They they predominantly manage prisons themselves. It's going to be very hard for them to just say, "Okay, I'm going to make my board or my um, prison senior managers more diverse. They may have the good intentions that they want that to happen. But as we know, people tend to relate, form unity and bonds with people that look like them, sound like them and have similar backgrounds to them. Until individuals accept this um, realisation and are prepared to go through that emotional interjection of actually understanding well what does white superiority mean to me and how am I going to share that superiority over whatever organization I work in then in regards to race things won't change what will what will happen is that you may see a few token gestures to say well we are making changes but sort of the long-term um changes that that we need for prisons to become more of a rehabilitative culture as opposed to a culture that focuses on um, control and punish and protect 
you won't see that substantial change. You will still continue to see an overrepresentation of black and ethnic minority prisoners in prisons. You will continue to see a high churn of black and ethnic minority employees in the organisation who join and then leave within short periods of time. And you will still see very few black and ethnic minority managers in senior positions who can then bring a diversity of thinking perceptions, ways of working to the organisation, because ultimately prisons are organisations that function because they are the same. They focus on a rigid system and structures that have been there, like I mentioned, for many, many years. So it'd be very difficult to just introduce a new reform and expect that to happen in actual establishments unless you address the gatekeepers. Right. And I, and I think that, you know, is really important and a very, and it's a great point. Um, and why, you know, this book is really important, especially right now. Um, and I know we've taken up a lot of your time today, so I only have a couple remaining questions and this one might be a, a little bit of an overlap with this last question, but if if you were to have folks read your book and sort of have one one big takeaway from the book, one one main idea that really sticks. What do you what do you think that would be? I think it would depend on the reader. I think if the readers are academics or professionals working in organizations in which so for example, my initial purpose of even doing the whole PhD and writing this book is because I wanted to give a voice to black women who worked in organizations where they may feel silenced. I also wanted to show that um, if you have a will and a drive to achieve something like this, you can do it. I was told at the very beginning of um, of decide of actually applying to do my um, PhD that um, I, I wouldn't be able to do it. And now I have a book that is focused on my PhD. So first of all, it would be encouraging individuals who may think I would like to do something like this, but not quite sure that they can, that they should follow their dreams and do it. Secondly, if it was for policymakers, so for example, um, within the prison service or in other large institutions, whether that's healthcare, whether that's um, civil service, um, whether that's transport, to actually take into account their staff's perspectives, use different means to actually understand what experience feels like large organizations tend to focus on collecting data and they treat employees as though they are numbers. Numbers don't tell you what it feels like to work in an organization. Numbers don't tell you how to make changes. All you can do with numbers really is quantify them. So I would encourage um, policymakers, researchers to think about other qualitative methods to actually understand the experience of individuals if that's what they want to do. I feel if you want to make um, changes that are actually worthwhile and are long uh, are attainable and you want to bring people with you then you have to take people's views on board and you won't be able to get people's views on board if you're just count if you're just counting numbers so you need to take that time to actually interview people or share testimonies or complete exit interviews but then do something with that information and be prepared to actually, there's that saying about um, you don't really want to put your um, dirty laundry in public, but be prepared to actually 
receive negative feedback and then use that negative feedback in a positive way to make work environments more diverse, more inclusive, and to allow people to feel more part of the organisation and share the organisation's identity as opposed to being places where people will come to work and then don't feel part of it, so actually feel isolated but are just doing a job. So I think it depends on the type of reader. I'm hoping that the book actually will... um, help people to just think about prison work as not just being white, male, burly, ex-military employees, but actually prison work and the people that work in prisons are very diverse and they come from very different backgrounds and they have very different experiences. I guess that's the main thing that I'd want everyone to take from it, that it's not only white men that work in prisons, but black women work in prisons too. Right. And I, and I think, you know, when you talk about, you know, if organizations want to make change and listening to their employees and using these more qualitative methods, I mean, I think in certain ways, the ways that we uh, see this lack of change comes, it may come from that overemphasis or maybe, you know, at times sort of obsession that folks have and policymakers have around the quantitative, right? You're not able to get sort of this holistic picture of, of your organization. And I think I think your book does an excellent job at pointing out, you know, what can be uncovered when looking at organizations in a different way. And, you know, just as our, our final question today, if if folks listen to this conversation and they're really, you know, interested and they want to learn more or they're just interested in sort of, you know, the readings that got you to think about these problems in in this way what are some what are three book recommendations that you could you could get of our audience today i would suggest the first book that actually gave me the momentum and drive to actually feel that my experience as a black woman was valid was in reading patricia hill's um feminist thought book um that really opened my eyes to actually think that black women do have a particular experience that is worth researching and analysing and and putting out there. Um, If individuals wanted to know more about, I guess, UK prisons and actually compare my approach to some of the um, books that have been written on um, um, occupational work in prisons, then the Alison Leibling's prison officer book would be a good starting point to actually have a look at, well, what does prison, what are the type of people that work in prisons from the perspective of that research in comparison to um, my book that that presents um, black women as being the focal point? The third one is a difficult one, um, but I guess it would probably be... um, a section of Bell Hooks's um, books. Again, they are from that, I guess, black feminist perspective. But those books kind of give you a, a fuller picture of what it means to be black, female, and have other um, um, different types of identities and, and how we negotiate from the perspective of being marginalised to actually overcome some of the barriers as black women that we may face, whether that's in work or in our personal lives or in academia. But I guess off the top of my head, it would be those three authors' work. Yeah, and I I, I would agree that those are excellent recommendations. At least I've read two of those, so I I can vouch for two of those very excellent reads. And I just want to encourage everyone listening to check out 
Dr. Marsha Morgan's book, Black Women Prison Employees, The Intersectionality of Gender and Race. Dr. Morgan, thanks so much for joining us today on the New Books Network. Thank you.